you know, you could be as prepared as you want to be in certain elements of your life, but you're not always going to be completely prepared for everything you face. Mm-hmm. And I want people to understand that, that, yeah, maybe I'll do well in certain elements, but you get me on the water, I'm not going to have a clue what to do, and it's just going to be pain and suffering for 35 days. It's time to open your mind and expand your empire. You're listening to The Ted Huff Show. Join in for stories that embrace imperfections and become the inspiration you need to achieve true greatness in your life through actionable progress in the pursuit of self-discovery, self-improvement, and self-purpose. Where will your story take you? Now let's get it started with the man himself, your host, Ted Huff. Welcome to episode 28 of The Ted Huff Show. I am your host, Ted Huff. And on this episode, we hear from a former investment banker who after a series of events, including losing two people close to him and finding himself with a tear-filled bowl of oatmeal while hiking the Himalayas, has shifted his life from being self-centered to service-centered. This man is known as Dawson, Matt Dawson. Matt founded Dawson's Peak to serve others with a mission to inspire personal transformations and push the boundaries of human capability. Matt was scheduled to start his global adventure of a lifetime this month. Unfortunately, the coronavirus, COVID-19, has delayed that mission. And now in 2021, he will set seven world records in 12 months as he treks the polar regions of Antarctica, scales the world's seven highest mountains, pilots a plane around the world, rows of boat across the deadly Atlantic Ocean and traverses one of the world's hottest deserts on a motorcycle. As a veteran of the United States Army myself, I am so excited that Matt has chosen to support veterans through the Gary Sinise Foundation and hope for the warriors with this project. Please donate whatever you can to this so that we can help these veterans in a time of need. Hey, Matt, I appreciate you hopping on today. Um, I know you're like full bore into training right now. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you for having me. So, uh, you know, it was good to meet you at Powerful You recently and, and appreciate you, uh, you know, finding time to get us on here and, and to discuss a little bit more about Dawson's Peak. So uh, to your question is, is I'm training full time, you know, for, for Dawson's Peak for the uh, for the project we're working on, which is called Seven for Soldiers. Really, all I do is, is train now is, is we're training seven days a week, talking to potential sponsors and really just trying to get the word out of Seven for Soldiers and as we discussed at uh, Powerful U, 100% of the uh, net proceeds that we're raising, we're donating to our charitable partners, uh, Merging Vets and Players, and Hope for the Warriors. 2020 is going to be a huge year for you. You're right. going to you're you're slated to break a number of world records. You are going to be doing the Explorers Grand Slam. Right. So that's what you're preparing for right now. You've got a couple other things going on as well, but. Why did you choose the ones that you chose? I mean, you chose uh, climbing mountains, riding motorcycle across uh, Mojave Desert, uh, rowing a boat across the Atlantic Ocean, piloting a plane around the world. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but also climbing the seven largest peaks and the seven continents. Why, Why did you choose those? Yeah. So, you know, when you look at it, let's, we'll start kind of a, from a broader picture. So as Dawson's Peak, our, our mission is to inspire personal transformations by pushing the boundaries of human capability. And the way that we want to push those boundaries is by each year we host large scale global expeditions that, that really push the boundaries of, of what people are capable of. So given that this is our inaugural project, we really want to have something of a, of a significance that could really move people and impact people. 
When we look at creating expeditions as an organization, we really look at three factors. One, it's got to be of a magnitude that really impacts people and enables them to draw parallels between themselves and our athletes to where they can say, hey, if, if this person's climbing an actual mountain or they're crossing an actual ocean, I can climb the mountain in my life or I can cross the ocean I need to cross in order to do the work that I need to do to live with a greater sense of purpose and elevate not only myself but everyone around me. Secondly, we want our athletes to be passionate about the uh, endeavors. So I, I've been climbing mountains for several years now. I've already climbed three of the seven summits. Uh, you know, three of those I'll be reclimbing. I've ridden motorcycles my entire life. I've flown for probably 10 years now. And then uh, the third factor is we want uh, components of this to be outside of our athletes' expertise. So when it comes to rowing, I have zero rowing experience. <laughs> I have zero ocean experience. And again, the purpose there is to be able to draw parallels between our athletes and the viewers. Because you know you could be as prepared as you want to be in certain elements of your life, but you're not always going to be completely prepared for everything you face. Mm -hmm. I want people to understand that, that yeah, maybe I'll do well in certain elements, but you get me on the water, I'm not going to have a clue what to do, and it's just going to be pain and suffering for 35 days. And so people can, can see what our athletes are going through and, and how they adapt and overcome in those situations that, that it's really outside of their expertise. So it's really those three factors. And then, you know, based on what I personally enjoy doing. Now, you've you hit on one of my questions and I'll, I'll just skip to it right now. It's like, okay. <laughs> so so if if someone, you know, we'll, we'll get into more about Dawson's Peak uh, in just a moment. If someone wants to they have a desire to do something monumental like what you're talking about. And it's, it's something that maybe they, they're not an expert in, but maybe, you know, they, they're a cyclist and they want to, I'm just going to throw something out there, right. like swim the English channel, right. Or something crazy. I shouldn't call it crazy. Something very driven. Right. Right. Um, if they want to do that, what is the type of thing that, that is the founder of Dawson's Peak that you look for in athletes that want to join the mission? You know, it's a, that, that's a good question. I think the, the biggest thing is, is passion and purpose. It's, it's why are you doing what are you doing? And uh, whatever you, it's, it's got to move you in a way that you're able to take this thing to the next level because we're, we're doing things on levels where it's not, you know, a Sunday morning activity. I mean, this is something you've got to dedicate your life to. And then secondly, it's you've got to be able to apply that in a way to help others and to help motivate others. And that's really what we look for here is, is you know, given that, that um, you know, I kind of started this organization last year as a one-man show and then it's slowly been very fortunate to kind of build my team up. We were, we were able to build this around me and the things that I liked and things such as that. But to your, to your question is going forward, you know, we don't want to work with professional athletes. And it's nothing against the pros, but it's it's – it's more relatable to people when your people are, are doing this. The athletes are not professionals because a lot of times you can say, hey, whatever that pro is doing is, is very impressive and I admire it. And I'm not taking anything away from anyone, what anyone's doing. Mm -hmm. But when someone's a professional athlete, it's just it's different. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for us to relate to them a lot of times. And you know, we want that relatability. So really, it, it's someone that, that believes in it and is willing to put everything on the line for it. It's kind of the, the partners that we'll work with going forward. The purpose around... Dawson's peak was you had been very successful in your career. You'd had all of the, the fun toys and all the different things that, that you could probably want 
And, you know, there was that point where you had two people really, really close to you that, that left us. Right. Help the, the folks understand how did you translate those losses into such a selfless act? What was that yeah. transition like for you? Where, where did the idea even come from? Yeah, that, that's a good question. You know, one, one to clarify when I had, when I lost, uh, you know, I say I lost, you know, two people, one person passed away, one person I simply lost out of my life. Oh, so with okay. that, yeah. So, so with that, I think it's, 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 it's challenging in a different way. And you, you've got to deal with loss in a certain way when, when the person is just no longer in your life. And, and then on top of that, you lose someone permanently. So it was kind of a, a you know, a double whammy and it just, it, it presented various challenges. Cause you, I think you grieve in different ways mm-hmm. depending on how you lose people from your life. Success is, is a relative term. Yeah. I, I was definitely comfortable, you know, and, and, uh, you know, achieve certain levels in, in my, in my career. But for some time I had just uh, a numbness inside of me and I never really understood what that numbness was or what it meant. And then once I lost both these people from my life, I came to understand that that was kind of the precipice where I, I needed change. And if I wasn't going to do it then, then it wasn't going to happen. In order, in order to initiate that change, I needed to get completely away from anything that I, that I had uh, had really ever known or related to. Because the problem is, you can't initiate change when you're when you're in your same environment, but it's a lot more difficult because it's easy to fall back into your old patterns when you have the same people, you know, the same house, the same music, the same food, the same everything. So with that, you know, I traveled to Nepal and I spent three weeks hiking alone around Mount Everest, and I did my best to avoid people. Uh, there's no music, cell phone, TV, internet, radio, nothing. And basically I I isolated myself to where over a 24 day period, 21 of those days, every single day was something new. It was new people, new experiences, new food, new environment. And that helped get me out of that same old kind of comfort zone and forced me, uh, to, to really kind of get deeper and deeper within myself. So it's what I joke about. It's kind of going far to go deep. And, uh, you know, and I, and I, this, I figured if I, if again, if it was going to happen, it was going to happen at that point. And, uh, you know, luckily I, I put the work in and that's what started me, you know, on the journey to, you know, that I'm on today. Cause really, and I'm embarrassed to say it, I was 38 years old, but it was the first time in my life I ever truly connected with myself and came to understand that that numbness, that growing numbness that I had inside of me was because I lacked any true sense of purpose in my life. And, you know, when you when you lack that, I don't care how much money you have, you know, how many toys you have, how many friends you have around you, whatever. You're not going to feel that sense of, of true, earnest satisfaction. And then I was fortunate enough to, to fall in love with mountain climbing at that point as well and came to understand slowly over the next couple of years as I continued to climb that maybe there was a way to combine various things I was passionate about in a way to help others, because ultimately I think the the goal is to take what what moves you and to help others. Because if you're not applying your passion and purpose to help others, then you're not applying it in a proper way. So why why Nepal? What was the draw for you to to go to Nepal? Yeah, it's yeah it's it's interesting. Is so about six months before I'd had I had dinner with uh, with a buddy of mine, and he just randomly invited a friend of his. And over dinner, we just started talking. And this guy had gone to base camp maybe four years before. And I'd always kind of heard about it and, and just through that, through that dinner, kind of put it in the back of my mind. 
And then I really didn't think too much more about it. And then uh, after the second loss, uh, I called this guy up and I said, just said, tell me more about it, just out of the blue. And literally maybe 10 days later, uh, I was on a plane to Nepal. And it's just, I just, again, I just, I, I needed to get completely outside of my comfort zone. And, you know, prior to this trip, I had no climbing experience whatsoever. And I had no interest in having any climbing experience whatsoever. And someone had come to me at that point and said, hey, let's go climb a 20,000-foot mountain. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds terrible for a lot of reasons. I give you 27 reasons why that sounds like a bad idea. And then, uh, but when I was there, I just, I went through a lot of, a lot of experiences and a lot of, uh, transitions and transformations and, uh, you know, came out the end, uh, came out the other side in a much better place. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't be happier for it. So you'd mentioned, uh, in another interview, and I think you even mentioned a little bit at Powerful You through a couple interactions is you had, uh, had the benefit of when you were in Nepal being at, I think you said a, a Buddhist monastery. Uh huh. When did you realize that you had your breakthrough? After a few days when I was there, I was in a little village called uh, Tangboche, which is 13,000 feet up in the Himalayas. There's around uh, three or four families that live there and about 50 Buddhist monks. So you're talking maybe 60 people that live there. It's hike in, hike out, no roads, just tiny. And in this village, there's a monastery, which is the largest in that area. And uh, luckily, I was invited to join a service with these Buddhist monks that live there. And when you walk into the main room of this monastery, it's exactly what you would picture in a Hollywood film. There are 15-foot ceilings. Every inch was just hand-hewn wood. Uh, the walls, the ceilings, the support beams, the columns were all covered this beautiful, very, uh, very ornate, uh, hand-painted designs and murals. And there's big, large tapestries hanging from the ceiling, gold Buddha that was so big you had to walk up to it because it actually stuck up through the ceiling. Oh, wow. And down it, – it, it, I mean, it's, it's the quintessential monastery that you could imagine. And down the center of the room, there are three elevated wooden benches where the monks all sit in a row. And during this service, there were 12 to 15 monks and, and, and myself. And when the monks go through their service, they start to chant in unison. And this goes on for maybe an hour, hour and a half. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all I want to do is just focus on being present is, is all, all I was focusing on. And uh, as they began to chant, I could just feel I could just feel this energy coming from them uh, that it's, just, it's very, very difficult to describe. And as they continued the, the chance kind of, the energy just got more and more intense coming from them. I'm getting goosebumps now, you know, just, <laughs> just telling the story again. But, um, you know, and after maybe 15, 20 minutes, it, w it got to the point where the, this energy was literally just enveloping me in these waves. And I could just, I could feel it washing over me and just coursing through my body to where I was actually struggling for breath at points. And I oh, joke wow. that, you know, even it, it's, I, you know, I looked down to see if the mat that I was sitting on was electrified somehow. And, you know, I mean, it actually crossed my mind. I'm like, oh, that's what these guys do. They bring foreigners in. They shock the shit out of them on some type of electric mat, <laughs> you know, and that's how they get their entertainment because they live up in the mountains and they got no, you don't have, to have uh, television. Um, but obviously, you know, that wasn't the case, but it was just, it was such a, a powerful experience. Right. And uh, when, as I was going to leave, uh, I was putting my shoes on, you know, I'm bent over time, my laces and I feel something on my cheek and you know, I go to wipe it away. And uh, I noticed that I'm crying a little bit. 
just out of the blue. And I don't think too much about it. I mean, I'm, I'm not a guy who cries very often, so, um, but I didn't think too much about it. And as, as I was walking or leaving this, the, um, the monastery, I'm walking across the village, and there's a small stupa, which is like a temple in the middle of the village. So I'm, I sit down, I lean against this stupa, and now Everest is several days away from here. It's probably three or four days still hiking, but it's so big, you can very clearly see the mountain. And so I'm sitting, leaning against this stupa, and uh, it's very early in the morning, and the clouds are, are kind of crossing slowly across the top of Everest, and the, and the sun's rising behind it. And this is as majestic as you possibly get. I mean, this is why people come to Nepal for this picture. It's like a Folgers commercial, you know, from when I was a kid. And uh, out of nowhere, I start crying again, except this time I absolutely lose it and just start bawling uncontrollably like a baby. I mean, just it was an ugly scene. And, you know, at the time I was 245 pounds. I had a beard, you know, a legitimate beard halfway down my chest. And I was, you know, powerlifting and, and riding motorcycles and flying planes. And I mean, I was, you know, a man's man just and it just bawling uncontrollably again, like a kid. And uh, that lasted maybe 15, 20 minutes. And I didn't know what was going on when it was happening. But luckily, I knew enough not to try to question it or understand it or judge it or evaluate it. But whatever it was, I needed to experience it. So what was and, going uh, through your what was going through your mind at that time? You know, it's it was it was kind of it was kind of scary, but at the same time, it just I had this 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 sense inside of me that was just saying, just experience this, just let go and experience this. And again, it's it's I got out of my head, and just with me, that's something that's a, a challenge for me. Typically, is I'm, I'm a very logical person, and I'm in my head a lot, and I'm not in my body a lot. Uh, so I try to I, I kind of fight that. And I just, I knew, again, it's just this innate sense inside of me just knew that just, just to get out of your head, don't ask questions, just just go through whatever this is. And after maybe 15, 20 minutes, I was able to collect myself, and I walk inside this little tea house where I'm staying uh, to eat breakfast. So I, so I sit down, and uh, now I've got maybe 10, 15 people around me, and they bring me this little bowl of oatmeal. And I go to take a bite of the, of the oatmeal, and I start crying again. Oh my goodness! And, yeah, and this time, this session made that last session look like a warm up, and <laughs> I just, in an instant, just bawling uncontrollably. And now I've got some people around me, so obviously I'm a little bit embarrassed. So I've got my head down, I'm covering my face, and I'm crying into this bowl of oatmeal. And I'll never forget this: is I cried so long and so hard that I could just sit there and watch my tears sitting on top of that oatmeal filling up the bowl. Oh my and as the minutes pass and I continue to cry, I just sat there and I watched the, the, the puddle of tears get deeper and deeper and deeper in this damn bowl of oatmeal. And I'll never forget it is that I cried just for so long. I don't know how long it, how long it was, but when I finally lifted my head, there was nobody else in that room. I mean, everyone had, had left the room because this crazy guy can't stop crying. And uh, what I came to understand through that that little episode was that that was the first time in my life I ever truly connected with myself and that whatever it was inside of me that needed to come out had finally had made an appearance. And that, you know, over the course of the rest of the trip, I continued to work and, and depress the matter and try to understand what took place. And what I realized was the, um, kind of the, uh, 
the methodology that I've been using to fulfill my needs was, was just wrong is I was working from the outside in. So it was, you know, is, you know, put, you know, put another car in there, you know, let's get another motorcycle or let's take a trip somewhere or, or go to dinner, you know, whatever it was. And what I should have been doing was working from the inside out. And, you know, that was the first time in my life I truly came to understand that. And that I came to understand that the numbness that I had was because I wasn't living again with any passion or purpose. My life just, it really had no meaning, no meaning to it at all. And that my passion and purpose was in helping others to determine and to live their passion, their purpose, and hopefully avoid the pain and the confusion that I'd faced for so many years. And, you know, in, in a nutshell, that was kind of that aha moment. And then everything I've done from that point is kind of built off, you know, from that. So did that, did that delay your, your time to, I mean, I can imagine, I can only imagine the, the way that you changed your perspective. What did, did it delay your time to get to Everest? Did, did you go back to the monastery? I mean, what helped? No, I tell you, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's all that stuff is, as powerful as that was, you know, that whole episode took probably less than an hour. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, the, it all took place in a single morning, I should say, from, from me getting up, joining the service, the, the multiple breakdowns, you know, all that kind of stuff. That all, that all took a matter of, of five, six hours. And then the rest of the trip, you know, I, I continued on as I had planned. But really, you know, every day during that trip is, is I would hike for, you know, uh, probably eight hours a day, nine hours a day, either hike or, or climb various mountains, things such as that. Then the rest of the time is I would spend reading and writing. And, and literally, I'd go from one tea house to another, and uh, I'd either, you know, sequester myself in, in a room if I could find one, or in this little, in like a little eating area in a corner by myself. And I was just, just reading and writing, reading and writing, just nonstop. So if I wasn't walking or eating, it was reading and writing, you know, for three weeks. And it was just kind of that, um, you know, almost, I wouldn't say a, a trial by fire, by fire, but just that total immersion rather, you know, in, in that. And, uh, you know, a couple of days later, uh, I was at Everest and then, uh, then after Everest is probably another 11 days, you know, for the rest of the trip. And then every day, but every day as, as I was finally able kind of to, to open that gate every day, I continue to learn more and more and delve deeper and deeper in different subjects and different topics. Oh, wow. Oh, that that I I'm just getting the the, the idea of, of having that point um, of you know Ed Milet talks about you know at, at the end of his life meeting himself or who who he could have been right um, I I envision kind of from my perspective the way you told the stories you were made aware at that point of, of who you could be or what, what you could accomplish, um, being your true self. Yeah. It's, it reminds me as, as I, I love quotes, you know, I love reading and, and, and uh, I can't believe I can't remember the name right now, but it's, it's, um, you know, it's never too late to become who you could have been. It, it's kind of what, you know, goes through my mind. And, and it really was as, as, as cliche as it sounds, and I understand that it does, but if, if it hadn't happened to me, I really wouldn't understand it the way that I do. But it was just, it was really that, that single experience was the final kind of breakthrough and uh, the reconnection, you know, with myself. And then, you know, just came to understand the, the person that, that I want to be 
and that I'm capable of being. It just it all kind of started to emerge from that from that single point. What things have you learned or taken away or or leverage to really get yourself out of that overwhelm or get yourself focused back again? Right. That, that, that's a great question. And honestly, it's not something that that's going to happen. It's something that happens already. It happens literally on a daily basis is and it, it sounds kind of cliche and kind of easy, but I mean, your, your life goes with your breath. And I don't care if you're hauling a hundred pound pack up a mountain. I don't care if you're flying. I don't care if you're in a business meeting. I don't care where you are is that you've got to be in control and aware of your breath. And most times is that's the first thing that people lose when we get a little overwhelmed or we get, you know, fearful or we get excited or whatever is we, we lose the connection with it. That's when you have to really regain that breath and that connection, you know, relax, deep breaths, you know, slow down and just focus on one at a time. And that's helped get me through, you know, all kinds of things. And I think that's what's going to continue to help get me through going forward. I'm still blown away by by the the breakthrough at the monastery. I'm sorry, man. Am I crying in my oatmeal? Yeah. Well, no, no, just the because I understand the the energy type thing that you're talking about, right? Yeah. So, what would you say is is a a belief, a behavior, or habit that in the last two to three years you feel has become that that rock for you? And yeah, I, th- I think probably that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I've never thought about it kind of specifically in that manner. I think the biggest thing is understanding why I'm doing what I'm doing and to be and with that, it, it helps me to become more proactive than reactive. And obviously, you look, it's, it's I've still got a very, very long way to go. I work on this, you know, on a daily basis and hell from from hour to hour, you know, work on this. But it's it's not being reactionary in my life. But to have a very clear understanding of, of who I am, why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, because it's not good enough to do the right things is you needed to be doing the right things for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, before I get out of bed every morning, and this sounds very cliche, but it's true, is, is I've got a list next to my bed of 13 items. And, and uh, you know, I'll take those and I'll read through those. And it kind of just helps me get myself focused, you know, on the day of what I'm going to be doing, why I'm going to be doing it. And, you know, as I go throughout that is I want to make sure that that my intentions, uh, you know, match my actions. And I just and I, I mean, I think about that more times I can count you know, on a daily basis. And I think yeah. that that's been one of the biggest things for me. The intention intentions matching the actions. That's exactly that's a, that is a that is a really big man. That's really big because a lot of times we just go through life just taking actions. Exactly. Yeah. And, and not really paying attention whether or not the intent of the action is really what we're intending to do. Exactly. And it's just, it's, it's, again, it's just, it's not good enough, you know, just to, just to act is, is not good enough. And what you, I think, you know, what I've found is when you kind of understand that intent is it can also affect your actions to where maybe you'll perform different actions or you can perform to a, to a higher level and, and, and garner more from those actions, you know, that, that you're wishing to garner. So it's been a, a tremendous help to me. So you mentioned on on your your trip in Nepal, um, and you also have mentioned that you are an avid reader. What is a book that you keep going back to, and why? Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing because I've got I've got a whole collection you know above me here, and um, 
you know, there are three or four that kind of stick out in my mind right now. One is uh, The Way of the Superior Man by uh, David Dieda. Dieda? Yeah, one of the two. Dieda. And, uh, you know, I've read that book probably, I'm not kidding you, probably 10 times. And I've handed out probably 15 copies to friends. That, that's been big, just kind of the general role that, of, of what defines masculine energy and the role that it plays in, in all types of relationships. That, that's been a big one. Uh, a Road Less Traveled. M. Scott Peck is, is a big one for me. I took that one with me to Nepal, along with uh, The Way of the Superior Man. And then uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was another one that I took with me to Nepal. And all these things are just are just beat to hell. I'm on my, you know, probably my fifth copies you know, of, all, of, of those three. Another one is, is uh, Endurance, which tells the story of Ernest Shackleton and his team getting caught down into polar ice uh, around the turn of the, uh, the 20th century. And, um, you know, it's, and that one kind of helps me to, to keep things in perspective that I don't care how bad it gets is that the, the things that people have gone through and that they're capable of going through, that whatever it is inside of me, there's always more to give. And, and those men on the journey that they went through over close to two years, a little over two years, uh, and not to lose anyone on, on their, the path or on the trip the way that they did. It just goes to show me that that even if I'm at that point where I'm ready to give up, that I think I'm, I'm tapping out, that there's more inside of me and that other people have done it and that, that I can do it. And that kind of helps me gain and, and, and keep that strength and that confidence. So you mentioned something um, that is interesting. What would you say has been the biggest thing that you you were like so close to just tapping out and at the very last moment you're like you know what forget this i'm i'm just putting my head down and pushing through it yeah it's like it, the very last minute like like you could yeah, feel you, you right just there. go and forget it yeah it's you know it's it's i tell you what i'd say two things one on on a kind of on a life level is before i lost these these two people you know who were who were close to me is I was at a I was at such a point of frustration and anger and confusion that that I didn't want to continue you know living and it, I never got to a point where I was going to hurt myself or, or anything like that it was just I was like if this is what life is I don't want this anymore because it, it's not it's not what it should be and I know that I'm not living it the way I'm not living it correctly so I, that, that that kind of thinking I was, I was to a point where I was completely you know fed up with it and and that kind of precipitated that change. But from a single standpoint, um, I tell you, a good one is probably when I was climbing Aconcagua. Is uh, it's the highest peak in South America? It's, it's the highest peak outside the Himalayas, and uh, we I'd, I'd climbed very well. And this was about uh, about two years ago, and uh, we we made our last our last um, camp was just over nineteen thousand feet, and the next day we we're going to push for the summit, which is just under twenty three thousand. And that night, I got real bad altitude sickness. To where I was, I was up all night. I couldn't sleep. I was throwing up everywhere. I couldn't drink anything. I couldn't eat anything. And we get up at like four in the morning to to have this big summit push. And I literally had eaten like three crackers and a half a cookie mm. and and a swallow of water. And that's that's all I could keep down. And and I'm again, I'm 245 pounds at this time. You know, and I mean, I was definitely not you know built for the mountains at that point. You know, I was not conditioned as you know. And, uh, you know, we start pushing and the first kind of the first segment of it, I kept up and the second push was a long push. It was probably a two hour push. And by the end of it, uh, and I don't think I've ever ever told anyone this, but uh, I was probably a half hour behind the rest of the team getting to the end of the second push. 
And I mean, cause I had no energy left. I mean, I was just done. Like just, I was spent and it took everything I possibly had, you know, just to get to this second kind of stopping point. And by the time I got there, everyone was rested, ready to go. And I sit down and my guide comes over and he's like, look, I think this is your summit. And I think this is where you're going to stop. And I just, I remember looking at him and I was just like, F that. I'm like, I can't believe this <laughs> son of a bitch just said that to me. And I mean, it just, it lit this fire Does inside of me. he not know who I am? Exactly. I'm like, listen, man. I'm like, you apparently didn't get the memo of who the hell I am. <laughs> but it, it, it really was. It, it, it got to that point and, you know, I'm not trying to sound, you know, tough. I'm not trying to sound anything. It just, it got to that point where come hell or high water, I didn't care. I was either going to summit that mountain or they were going to carry me off of it. And just, I just, I didn't, I didn't, it just, the, the pain, the everything would just, it, it meant nothing to me anymore. And all I was going to do was, was, I didn't care if I had to crawl up that thing backwards, you know, uh, that I was going to make it. And, uh, I was like, give me five minutes and I'll be ready to go. And I had you know, another swallow of water and then, um, and we started going and I put myself right behind him. And I just said, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to match this guy stride for stride. And, uh, and I did, I matched him for another hour until we got to a point where we got caught in a real bad blizzard about, uh, 700 feet from the top, uh, you know, 80 mile an hour winds well below zero and, and no one got to summit for a few days, but getting to that point, I, it's just, uh, you know, I was able to find something, another gear in there that I hadn't really experienced before. And it, it just showed me that when you get that right mindset, that it, it's in there. What was that, the self-talk like at that point? You know, it just, it just, it, it was like, it was such an, an anger and a drive that it just got quiet inside of me. It was like this, this storm. And it was just, again, it was like, I didn't care if that mountain was 30,000 feet is I was going to make it. And I, you know, nobody was going to tell me any differently. And it was just, but it, it wasn't arrogance and it wasn't stupidity, you know, because it wasn't I wasn't going to put myself in a bad position, but it was just a, a deep rooted, deep seated belief that I had what it what it took to get it done. And again, it's just all the all the pain, the fear, the confusion, the frustration, everything was gone in an instant. And I just I had the energy and it just I said, I'm going to match this son of a bitch step for step. I don't care. And I was able to do it. You know, and it just it, it showed me I've been able to build upon that each time. So hopefully I can take that with me on these mountains and, uh, you know, it'll lead me to being successful. So I always wrap everything up with asking for three tactics that people can use for for their relationships, for their business or for themselves to move themselves forward towards whatever they believe success to be. What would those three things that you would say for somebody who's watching or listening, as soon as they're done here, what, what could or should they do to move themselves forward? Man, that's a, that's a great question. You're, you're, you ask really good questions. I, <laughs> I enjoy that. The three things I focus on first is, is living with purpose. It's, you know, the first thing you got to do is, is to find your purpose and it took me 38 years. You know, some people find it when they're six. Some people find it when they're 70. Some people never take the time to find it. So it's, is you got to get quiet with yourself and understand what your true passion is. Uh, you know, what, what moves you. And I don't, I'm not talking about even your job is you can do one thing as a job, but then your passion and your purpose is something else. So it's, 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 you know, don't confuse those two. What a lot of people do. Secondly is how can you apply that passion and purpose to help others? 
Because if you're not ultimately doing whatever it is you're doing to help elevate others, then you're on the wrong path. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're doing. You're on the wrong path. And then um, third is kind of ties in what we're just talking about is, is you got to be conscious of, of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Is in the biggest way to get that is you want to connect with yourself. The way that I feel that you connect with yourself is to get quiet. You know, they say a lot of times the hardest thing for anyone to do is to sit quietly with themselves. And so you've got to be able to do that. And when you do that, the easiest way to do that is just gain control of your breath. So, so simply the, you know, the, the, the things would be to learn how to breathe properly, you know, sit quietly, connect with yourself, find your purpose, your passion, and then how can you use that purpose and passion to help others? And it's really, it's, I can't say it's that simple, but I think that's really the, the four, you know, three or four things. Now, those are three really great guideposts for people to, to look at and make their own decision on what that means to them. So I really appreciate that. What is the, the, the best way for people to help with Dawson's Peak? What, what is the best way that they can help in that, in that journey, in that mission? Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking that. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier when we got started is that 100% of the net proceeds that we're raising, we're donating to our charitable partners, Merging Vets and Players, and Hope for the Warriors. These are two of the leading veteran-focused charities in the entire country. And although they're two separate organizations, they both help veterans in their transition from military service to civilian life. Uh, so as an organization, as from uh, from Dawson's Peak perspective, we're not keeping any of these proceeds you know, at all. Uh, the way that we're funding Project 7 for Soldiers is through corporate sponsorship. So if anyone's you know listening and they're involved personally with a corporation that would like to be involved, you know, we would absolutely love to have you. Or if you know of anyone with a corporation, this could be a good fit. We'd love to have them. And then on an individual basis, individual donors uh, can reach out to me directly through or to uh, through to the organization through the website, uh, or you can donate directly on the website. And just know that again, once we are able to cover our costs, 100% of, of the things uh, of the proceeds donated are being donated, you know, to these two charitable groups. As we're not keeping a dime of it, nothing's going to our administration. I'm covering all that personally. Uh, so you know, I'm putting my money where my, where my mouth is, and you know, hopefully we can have a, a great impact for these two organizations. No, that's great, man. I that, that was one of the things <clears throat> that was one of the things that that really impressed me was the fact that you chose two very different uh, veteran organizations that attack the the transition back into civilian life right. uh, differently. And that that was a really really big thing for me. So I, I really appreciate that being a veteran myself. And is there any last bits and pieces that you want to make sure that everybody gets before we, we say goodbye? I tell you, no, I just, I, I want to tell you again, thank you for, for taking the time to, to make this happen. I tell you, I, I've really enjoyed it. You know, I, I think you did. Uh, I just, I re- really enjoyed it. You had great questions. You know, it was a lot of fun for me. And again, you know, you can check us out at uh, Dawson'sPeak.com. Instagram is uh, at Dawson's Peak. Uh, Twitter is is uh, at Dawson's underscore Peak. And uh, you know, please get involved. And, and again, anything that, that you can do to, to help us out will help these two organizations. And, and we sincerely appreciate it. I know they sincerely appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks again, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your training schedule, and uh, look forward to uh, to seeing you summit these uh, these seven peaks. Thank you, man. Listen, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Nice. 
That's it for this episode of the Ted Huff Show. But we know you're wondering where you go from here. TedHuff.com makes it easy for you to get notifications for new episodes, specialized contests, exclusive giveaways, and upcoming events simply by signing up for our mailing list. You'll get access to all this and more by visiting TedHuff.com. That's T-E-D-D-H-U-F-F.com. Until next time, open your mind and expand your empire right here on the Ted Huff Show.